He has good plans for us. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to get into the Word. Anybody excited for the Word of God? Hey, can we make some noise for everybody watching online? Thank you so much for joining us today. Let us know where you're watching from. Put it in the chat. Let us know if it's your first time. We're so glad that you're joining us. We're in week three of a series called I've Got a Testimony. Does anybody in the house have a testimony? Come on, anybody thankful they're not where they used to be? Amen, somebody. Come on, God's still working on me. God's still changing me. God's still growing my life. Well, I wanna go to the Word now. Today we are in day 15 of our time of prayer and fasting which means we're gonna be in John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. John chapter 15, I'm gonna read just five verses. We're gonna go one through five. John chapter 15. If you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. ready. Need a second, say, hold up. I heard a couple hold ups, all right. I'm gonna give you three seconds. Three, two, one. John 15, one says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on, apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of you want God to move in your life this year? Come on, how many of you wanna grow spiritually this year? Come on, how many of you want a healthy marriage this year? Come on, how many of you wanna be in a different place at the end of 2024? So touch a neighbor and say, prove it. <laughs> Come on, touch another neighbor and push them. Just say, prove it, prove it. I don't know about you, but this fires me up. The idea of being fruitful, the idea of growing, the idea of flourishing in life gets me excited. I think everybody in the room and everybody watching online, we would all agree that we want to grow we want to be healthier. We want a great marriage. We want godly relationships. We want community. We want a life of purpose. But I just got a question for us. Can you prove it? Come on, look at your neighbor real confused. Just ask him, can you prove it? Can you prove it? I want to preach for about three hours from that title. Can you? prove it. If you will, stretch a hand towards heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is living and it is active. God, we thank you for weeks that slow us down, as frustrating as they could be. Thank you for the snow. God, I thank you for the time I had with my family, with getting on a hill and sledding down and not dying. Thank you, Jesus. You woke me up today. God, we ask though, as we come to your word, that you would speak directly to our hearts to transform us and change us. God, may we leave different than what we walked in with when you set us free. Would we have the evidence that that's what we really want, to be fruitful? 
We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody who believed us said, amen. amen. High five a neighbor as you go back to your seat. Let us know again where you're watching from in the chat. Can you, can you prove it? You know, we've, um, we've been in this series going through the book of John. And uh, I love John's gospel for a lot of reasons. As I've taught you the past couple of weeks, John's gospel is different than the other gospels. But the distinction I want to make tonight is how um, John's gospel is interesting because rather than focusing a ton on the activity of Jesus, John likes to focus in on the identity of Jesus. Because if you don't know who Jesus really is, it doesn't matter if you just know what Jesus really did. Amen, somebody. If you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know who you are. Amen, somebody. And, Jesus, and John is wanting us to understand throughout this gospel letter, not just what Jesus did, but really who Jesus is. And what you'll see as you read through these first 15 chapters in the, in the gospel of John is you will see seven I am statements made by Jesus that speaks to his identity. And so from John chapter one, all the way through 14, you'll find six. And we find the seventh today in John chapter 15. And here are the seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen, somebody. And so when you're hungry and you tried everything on the menu that the world has to offer, and you find yourself in a dark season without any hope, and you feel unloved, and no one really seems to care about you, and you feel weak, and you feel alone, and you don't have the strength to protect yourself, and when the situation you're looking at looks dead and looks like it's over, and you're lost, and you don't know which way to go, and you're confused, and you can't tell a lie from the truth. And when you're searching for purpose and for meeting, Jesus says in his gospel of John, I am the bread of life that will satisfy your soul. I am the light in the darkness. I am the door that you can always come home to. I am the good shepherd that will protect you. And it may look over and it may seem late, but I'm not just the God of healing. I'm the God of resurrection. I am the way when you're lost. I am the truth and the lies. And I am the life. Can I get an amen, somebody? This is our God. And so Jesus, throughout the gospel of John, he says, this is who he is. And we, we get to John chapter 15, and we get to his very last I am statement. And John 15, 1 opens up with this I am statement, the last one. I am the true vine. Won't you say that with me? Say, I am the true vine. It's the last one Jesus says. It's the last I am statement that he Gives us, and I think there's something significant about somebody's last words. If you've ever had someone close to you that you really love be on their deathbed, what they said throughout their life really matters. But how many of you know what they say last carries a little bit different of a weight, doesn't it? And Jesus, here he is, the cross is imminent, he's coming to the end of his ministry. And he's at this place where he really essentially is kind of coming to his deathbed. And he says, I've done a lot of things and I've said a lot of things throughout my life, but it, the thing I want you to get, the thing I want you to hold on to, 
Before I leave this earth, the thing I want you to remember, in case you forget that I'm the bread of life, and in case you forget that I'm the light in the darkness, and in case you forget that I'm the resurrection, the, the thing I want to make sure that you get is that I am the true vine. Because that's what really matters most. Got a question? What matters most to you? If, if you had that one thing that like you wanted to pass down, or, or let's just get practical. In 2024, if you could ask God for just one thing, or, or let's even bring it down even closer. If it was just today and you could ask God just, just for one thing, all of us would say something similar to I wanna I want to grow in my relationship with you for the rest of my life. Some of you go, I want a healthy marriage. I want to be out of debt so that I can be generous. I, I want children. Last week, I asked a group of people who come to the prayer at 6 a.m. that came into the church. I said, if you could have one thing, God answered one prayer for you this year, what would it be? And unanimously, all of them said a person that they knew that didn't know Jesus. What they wanted was people who didn't know Jesus to know Jesus. Some of you have a child who has left the faith. And if you could just have one answered prayer, if God could give you one thing, it would be that they would come back home to the faith. Some of you, you want to find community. You want to find authentic relationship. Others of you, you want to find out why you were put on this earth. You want to find hope. You, you want to find peace in your mind. You want to find a joy that's unshakable. You, you want to live a life of purpose. But can you prove it? Can you prove that that's what you really want? Because if you haven't noticed, every year we set New Year's resolutions. Every year at your company, every year on your team, every year in your family, when you start to ask people what is it that they really want, generally everyone kind of says the same thing, don't they? Like we all have very similar goals, then why is it do we all get vastly different results? I'll tell you why. Because you can have high hopes, but if you have bad habits, it don't matter. You can have a good heart, but bad habits, and you will miss out on everything God has for you. Like we all have these aspirations. The difference between someone who is successful and someone who is unsuccessful is this. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. And, and what Jesus is trying to get us to understand about the vine is he's trying to help you understand how you can actually produce what he calls fruit. So that's what I want to do today. I, I, this is not rocket science. This is, I want to help you grow. Like at the end of this, I want you to walk away with some really practical steps of this is how I want to grow in my faith by being connected to Jesus who says, I am the true vine. Now, when he said that, it was important because the people that were hearing it, the disciples in particular, 11 out of the 12 were Jewish. And when they would have heard Jesus say, I am the true vine, they would have known 
growing up in Judaism exactly what he was meaning. Because all throughout the Old Testament, for instance, if you go read Isaiah chapter five, God referred to the people of Israel as his vineyard or his vine. In Isaiah chapter five, he actually judges Israel and he says, you're my vine, but you ain't got no fruit. And so I'm doing away with it. And so when Jesus says, hey, look at me, I'm the true vine. What he's saying to them is, hey, you're not the source to your own strength, I am. He says, I am the true vine. And then he says something over and over and over and over and over and over, 10 times in 10 verses. He says this one word, and I, I wanna read it to you. And if, if you don't catch this one word, we're gonna have a little special prayer meeting right after the service just for you, okay? Let's see if you catch what word he says over and over and over. We'll just pick one verse, okay? Verse four, here it is. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What is the word? Come on, y'all give yourself a round of applause. We don't have to have a special meeting for you right after, right after church. He gives this word, remain. Somebody say remain. Remain is the Greek word that means to abide. It means to dwell in. It means to continue in. And what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is that you gotta stay connected to the vine. That you and I gotta stay in this relationship because if you keep reading John, he says, listen, the world hated me, therefore the world's gonna hate you. And the world persecuted me, therefore the world's gonna persecute you. So before you think everything's all good, you just need to understand that come hell or high water, you better learn what it means to remain. Somebody say remain. So if you're taking notes, write this first thought down. If you wanna grow in your faith, number one, you have to resolve to remain. You gotta have a resolve this year to remain. January 8th, the year 2000, Y2K when the world was gonna end. Y'all remember that? I was, um, let's see, I was 11 years old. And uh, I remember January 8th, 2000, 11 years old, bottom section, Adelphia Coliseum, 30 yard line. The Buffalo Bills had just kicked a field goal to go up 16 to 15 on the Tennessee Titans with 16 seconds left. Sitting on the 30-yard line, this is the first playoff game. This determines if the season goes on or if the season is over. And I'm with my stepbrother and his dad, and his dad, he talks real, real slow. He said, boys... The tides suck. It's time to go and beat the traffic. And we're like, there's 16 seconds left. We can't leave now. And he's like, I'm going home. And just started walking up the steps. And me and my brother watched the kickoff and they kicked the ball off to probably the slowest player on the team, Frank Wycheck. God rest his soul. Frank Wycheck catches the ball and begins to run to the right side of the field, and all the Buffalo Bill players are coming after him. And at the last second, Frank Wycheck steps back and throws a 
backwards, lateral pass, all the way across the field to Kevin Dyson on the 30-yard line. And me and my brother are sitting there watching the whole thing. And Kevin Dyson takes off and he runs 70 yards down the field, 20, 10, touchdown. Everybody's going crazy. We're screaming. Titans win. We move to the next round of the playoffs. Those were the good old days for the Tennessee Titans. Could you imagine if we walked out? Could you imagine if we would have left early? The miracle would have still happened, but we would have missed it if we didn't learn how to remain. Some of you are missing the miracles that God is doing because you quit too soon and you walk out. I wonder if there's something happening in your life or in the lives of those around you, but because you think that it's over, because it doesn't look good, you walk out too early and you miss the discipline of what it means to remain. I wonder what your marriage could have looked like if you would have just worked on it a little longer. I wonder like what the friendship could have looked like if you wouldn't have called the quits too soon. I wonder what what life could have been, should have been. I wonder what we've missed out on because we're constantly assuming the worst and we've never quite learned how to remain. I don't know about you, but in 2024, I wanna have the resolve to remain and make a decision before I get bad news, before things don't go my way, before I don't make the money that I thought I was gonna make or save the money I thought I could save, before the relationship stabs me in the back, before I don't get the promotion and get what I want. I'm making a decision, come hell or high water, I will not walk away, I will not quit, I'm sticking this thing out because I'm going to have a resolve to remain. I'm going to learn the power of remain. Do you know that the difference between a great marriage and one that doesn't make it? The people in the great marriage just decided to stay together a little longer to see what God could do. Because how many of you know if God is in the equation, it ain't over till it's over. I want to teach you What does it look like for you and I to remain and stay connected to Jesus? Because my fear is there's so many Christians who are just content with knowing about God, but they never get to celebrate and truly understand what it means to really know God. I just wonder if there's anybody in the house that knows that there is a God that actually loves them, that wants to know them, that died on the cross so that they could actually be connected in relationship. Is there anybody in the house that knows that truth to be true? I don't want just some secondhand relationship with God. I want to know God. You're going to have to find you some people who know what it looks like to have the resolve to remain. Because if you surround yourself, my grandma used to say this, Cody, if you surround yourself with a bunch of turkeys, you're gonna become a turkey. But if you surround yourself with eagles, you're gonna fly like an eagle. 
You need some people in your life that don't just know how to start 2024 well, but know how to finish well. They have the resolve to not quit. You need a Steve Briggins in your life. I got enough pastor friends who help start churches. I want some people in my life who know how to finish well. Who when things get tough and it don't look like they thought it would look after 33 years of serving the city, they're still in the parking lot, still greeting people, still waving people in during COVID. It don't matter what the church looks like and what kind of music it is and if there's haze and lights. It don't matter if everybody up in the church is 30 years younger. He's got a resolve to remain. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going nowhere because I wasn't here for people the whole time. I was here for God. So I had a resolve. You gotta have a resolve to remain. This is what I love about John. John knew how to remain. Like John wasn't just content with just being another disciple. Read the book of John. John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. Yo, imagine walking into the room, everybody's like, who is that? And you just walk in like, hey, I'm the one Jesus loves. (laughs) He was not content with just being, you know, oh, hey, yeah, what's up? Just another one of these little disciples? No, John's like, no, 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 I want to know, Je- know Jesus. That's why John would literally cuddle up to Jesus. He would lean back. Scripture says he was leaning and reclining his head on Jesus' chest. Why? Because he wanted to hear his heart. He wanted to get the heart. Sometimes in order to remain, you got to look ridiculous to everybody else. I know it's weird for a man to cuddle another man, but John just had to say, I have to, I wanna know Jesus. I wanna be close to Jesus, no matter what happened. By the way, John ended up in isolation alone on an island called Patmos. But when he found himself in isolation, he didn't give in. What did he do? He remained. He remained faithful. Can I just tell you, There are some revelations from God that you will never get if you never remain. The entire book of Revelation was written in isolation. John said, I will remain regardless of my circumstance. And and as John remained, God began to give him a revelation for what churches would look like and what the end times would look like and what the coming king would look like and what life would look like for all of eternity. We wouldn't even have the book of Revelation if John didn't have the discipline to remain. John knew how to remain. Listen, you gotta quit expecting to get a revelation from God when you got a microwave faith. Like, yo, I did my one-minute quiet time today. You did a one-minute quiet time to fight a real devil the rest of the week? Well, I don't feel like I hear from God. Well, God is more like a crock pot than he is a microwave. You're going to have to spend some time with him. Stop settling for this, like, lazy, well, I'm good, kind of faith. Stop expecting a five-star revelation from God when you get a five-second meal with him daily. You're going to have to spend some time with God. I think about Joshua who knew how to remain when he was looking at the walls of Jericho and he didn't know what was going to happen. And God said, well, here's our plan, Joshua. I need you to start walking around them walls and get your army together. Just start walking. You'll know. Hear that trumpet. You're going to know. 
Can you imagine being in that army? Day one, all right, Joshua, I got my sword. I'm ready to go. Let's fight. He goes, got it. Here's what God told us to do. He said, we're going to take a little walk. All right, y'all follow me. Cool. Walking around the walls. That's day one. What are we doing the next day, Joshua? Just follow me. We're going to keep walking. Joshua, you realize we're walking in circles? Yeah, but God just said walk. They did that for six days, not knowing how long they would do it because Joshua had the resolve to remain. Can I tell you, don't stop on six because sometimes it ain't till the seventh time until the walls will fall. You have no idea how many times the wall could have fallen if you would have had the resolve to remain. The discipline to remain, the power to remain. John 15, five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if, somebody say if, what's a big if? Somebody say if, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So watch, if you remain, you will produce fruit. That's the promise. So watch, you get the promise if God is the priority. We wanna claim God's promises, but we don't wanna make God priority. Well, God, you said, he said, yeah, I said you'll get it if. You will get the fruit if you're faithful. But there is, a, there is an if. So we say we wanna grow, but can you prove it? Let's get practical. 168 hours in a week. Let's break your week down. Let's break my week down. You sleep. Let's say everybody gets to sleep eight hours a night. I know that's not reality, but that's the goal, right? Eight hours a night, not 10 not four, eight. That's 56 hours right there of your week gone. You work, full-time job, because you're not lazy. You're not relying on other people to pay your bills. Full-time job, 40 hours. The average commute is 30 minutes to and from work. That's an extra hour a day. That's 45 hours right there. So now you have 101 hours already gone just sleeping and going to work. You got 67 hours left. Can I ask a question by a show of hands? How many of you on social media lift your hand? Come on, you're on social media? Okay, that's everybody. If you're watching online, that's how you got here. So hello. <laughs> November 2023, Meta releases their data. Last year, two months ago, releases their data. And the average person is on social media two hours and 24 minutes per day. That equals 17 hours a week. So now you only got 50 hours remaining out of those 167 and those other 50 hours remaining, that's just for stuff. Like we ain't even got, we got groceries, we got to cook, we got to clean. You got to take your kids to freaking everywhere under the daggum sun. You got to get your car worked on. You got family events and birthday parties and and, and then by the time you kind of take up all those hours, you're left with like, yo, I got, I got like an hour in my week left. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm gonna go to church. For one hour? The average Christian goes to church for two hours a month. I know a lot of you, you're here, I get it. A lot of you are like, well, that's not me. I come a lot more, I get it. But understand, we have the majority of people who identify as Christians, little Christ, little Jesuses, walking around, 
maybe spending two hours a month. Can I ask you just a question, just in life, just practical? If you only do something for two hours a month, how much, how much of the results do you think you're going to get? Okay, let me prove it to you. Work out for two hours a month and see if you got a six-pack. That's it. Just two hours. You're going to get mad. Where's my six-pack at? I, I put in the work. No, that, that's not going to cut it. If you only showed up for, for work for two hours a month, you wouldn't have no job. Students, if you only went to class for two hours a month, you wouldn't pass. But yet, from what I could see, the majority of all of us were like, yo, I want to grow in my faith. I want to get closer to God. I want to get a healthy marriage. If you only talk to your spouse for two hours in the entire month, you think you'll have a healthy marriage? No, you're going to have a quick divorce. But yet, we say this is like most important to us. I'm just trying to help us see that God's not calling, calling you and I to be this like partially devoted fan who leaves the game early. No, he, he's calling us to be sold out and saying, I want you to have a resolve to remain in me. I don't say any of that to like beat you up. I'm just trying to help all of us understand because everybody's like, oh, God's my number one. No, hold up. It ain't about God being your number one. It's about God being your life. It's not just he's number one on my priority list. It's that he is the list. Everything comes through him. So fruitfulness, write it down, is the result of obedience. You will bear much fruit if you remain in him. So fruitfulness comes from a submitted spirit. Faithfulness is what produces fruit, not intention. Faithfulness produces fruit. What is fruit? So glad you asked. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit, somebody say fruit. Come on, somebody say fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to notice, because we get this wrong all the time, we think that's the fruits of the Spirit. Notice the language. But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's what that means. Jesus is saying, I'm looking for all of that continually in your life. Not just one of those, all of those. One of them's not the fruit, all of them are the fruit. And I wanna see all of them in your life. So here's the connection. And this is almost state the obvious. You really think you can get that apart from God? He says, I'm the vine, you are the branch. If the branch ain't connected to the vine, it's dead. You ain't nothing but a dead branch. He's saying, if you want to grow, you're going to have to be connected to the vine if you want that kind of fruit. Now, if you don't want that kind of fruit, that's cool. Here's what you'll get. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. If this is what you want and the life you want, so be it. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Did anybody write any of those down for their 2024 goals? But apart from him, he says, you can do nothing. You me tell you the problem with that? We don't believe that. Oh, nothing, come on, Jesus. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Come on, I can do something. I mean, yeah, I'm talking, yeah, the, the big miracles, yeah, that's, Jesus, that's for you, but like, but I, I can do something. I can do something. No, you can't. You cannot be the spouse that you're really supposed to be and called to be without Jesus. You'd be a good spouse, you just can't be a godly spouse. You, 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 you're not gonna be the single you're supposed to be apart from Jesus. Trust me, I've been there. I tried, it didn't work. You ain't gonna be the parent. Lord, God bless me, I love you so much. You are not gonna be the parent that God has made you to be without Jesus. Amen, somebody. And still yet, we think there's things in life I can do and get apart from God until you try to do them and you're like, oh God, I need you. I, I, need, I need you. Think about my second child, Jet. He's my party boy. I like him. I love all my kids for different reasons. I love all of them equally. Let me say that. Hold on. I got favorites about each one of them. And right now, Jet's got my favorite personality. And uh, every morning, I'm talking like 6.30, just, Dad, Mom, I want my police uniform. Can you put my police, police uniform on? Dad, Dad, please, I want my police uniform. He loves his police uniform. Gotta have it. We got like three of them at the house. Different variations. One, he looks like Paul Blart, the mall cop. It's great. Okay. I mean, the kid wears the uniform everywhere. Not just Halloween, at Christmas pictures. Got him in his mall cop uniform on. If you see us out and you're wondering, is that them? Just look for the little policeman at the Mexican restaurant. That's him. People just, oh, he's so cute. He likes to dress up? Yes, every day. This is him. Well, one morning he was like, Dad, Jessica had left for work in Nashville and it's Wednesdays and uh, I take the kids to school and stuff. And so um, he wakes me up, Dad, 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 I want the police uniform on. I'm like, Jet, bro, just can we get up and have some breakfast and go to school with no police uniform? No, I want the police uniform. He starts crying. I'm like, just go get the police uniform. I'll put it on in a minute. So he goes to his room, climbs up his dresser. He uses the handles as ladder stairs. Gets on top of the dresser, gets his police uniform down. Dad, come get the police uniform. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'll do it in a little bit. I got you. That'll help you, but not right now. Well, the next thing I know, I hear him crying and he's screaming. And he goes, daddy, help. And I come in there and he's got the, 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 the arm over his head and it's stuck. And he's got both legs in his little pants leg. And he's like, ah, and just falls over. And I just start laughing and it's hilarious. Why? Because he needed my help to do it, but he did it on his own. Can I just tell you, that's how, how ridiculous some of us look. When we try to do stuff, because we're so daggone prideful, we don't want to ask God for help. So we're just like, I got it, God. I know you said I could do nothing on my own, but I'm going to try to do everything on my own. And we end up making a fool of ourselves because we don't know what we're doing. 
Man, I love Jet. <laughs> now, as a, now watch, as a parent, you understand what I'm trying to do, hopefully. <sighs> Parents, here's the goal. You're trying to get your kid to go from like being overly dependent on you to becoming independent. That's the sign of maturity, right? But in the kingdom, it's backwards. Because of our sinful nature, you and I, God is trying to get us from being ultra independent and think we need nobody to actually becoming dependent on him. So the sign of maturity is not that you don't need God anymore. The sign of maturity is that you need God more than ever before. The sign of maturity is that you're desperate for God. Hear me. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. You, you want to pray for breakthrough, you better get desperate. Because you have to have God for breakthrough. That's the sign of maturity. You mean tell you the sign of maturity? The sign of maturity is this. When you finally figure out that the fruit God's producing in your life, it ain't for you. You're becoming more mature when you realize that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that fruit ain't for you. Fruit is supposed to be a blessing for everybody else. You know how I know? Because if a fruit starts to eat itself, it starts to rot. How do you know you're growing in your faith when this thing stops being all about you and you become so desperate for God and you go, God, I I just wanna be with you and watch, be careful. Don't fall in love with the fruit. Fall in love with being faithful. Fall in love with being faithful because if you get the fruit, but you don't love being faithful, you're going to miss the point because the point's not the fruit. The point's the father. The reward is not the, is, is not the fruit. The reward is you get God. And as you spend time with him, then I actually get to experience what life really is all about. So God produced fruit in you to bless other people. Wasn't it Jesus that said to let your light shine among men so that when people see your good works that they will glorify your father in heaven? Didn't he say that the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another? The fruit is not for you. The fruit is for them. Amen, somebody. Here's the second thing. Write this this thought down. How do I remain? Here it is. You gotta find your flow. Come on, somebody say find your flow. Find your flow. What I mean is this, find your rhythm. Find your rhythm. Um, fruit should never be the burden of the branch. Fruit is the byproduct of relationship. Oh, that was good preaching. I'm gonna say that again. Fruit should never be the burden of the branch. Fruit should be the byproduct of relationship. If you walk up to a, an orange tree. You're never gonna hear the orange tree going, orange. (laughs) It doesn't have to strain. I'm not talking to you about straining. I'm talking to you about remaining. Fruit shouldn't be the burden. Fruit's the byproduct of a relationship with God. 
Fruit isn't something I have to work for. Fruit is something I get access to because I'm with Jesus. I, it's like when you look at my boys, they don't have to strain to look like me. They look like me. They talk like me. They act like me, unfortunately. Why? Because they're around me all the time. I mean, my kid knows every word to Sunflower from Post Malone. It is a problem. The other night, he was in the back of my truck, and he was looking at me in the rearview mirror, and he looks at me, and he goes, looking at you sideways, party on tilt. And I was like, what is happening? Because he's around me. When people look at you, they should see your father. Amen, somebody? But you got to find your flow. How many of you grew up in the quiet time generation? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The quiet time generation. You got to have your quiet time. Anybody else? Quiet time. I hated quiet times. When I was in college, it was all about quiet times. It was the stupidest name. I'm sorry if you call it quiet time. I'm trying not to offend nobody, but I hated it because I don't like quiet times. I like loud times. But everybody had to have, did you have their quiet time? I had this D group leader. I would go down to Orlando for the summer with this campus ministry, live for three months, work in horrible heat. Orlando's weather was terrible. And uh, we lived in a hotel, five college guys living in a hotel with two queen beds and a cot. Can you imagine the smell? It was as bad as you thought. Every morning though, we would get, it was awesome. I grew more in my faith than I've ever grown in my life. But we would get up and we'd look down the hallway and there'd be 300 students from six universities all having their quiet time in the hallway, except for me. Never got up and got my quiet time. And my D group leader, he used to be like, bro, you skipped your quiet time. You skipped your quiet time. I'm like, I don't like quiet times. Don't you like quiet times? I don't like quiet times. You know why I didn't like quiet times? I wasn't a morning person. But everybody around me, the spiritual thing to do is to get up in the morning, have a quiet time with God. Well, for me, I would fall asleep. I mean, this, this guy used to call D group meetings at 6 a.m. and talk about prayer. I just got an extra nap in. Y'all know what I'm saying? And I just remember feeling so guilty because I didn't have the same like thing as everybody else. Everybody was like journaling and stuff, you know? I hated freaking journaling like that at all. And it wasn't until I got around an older, more mature believer and he's like, what's wrong with you, man? And I said, I just feel so bad. He said, why? I said, I just don't, I don't like getting up in the morning and reading the Bible. I just, I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like doing quiet times. And he goes, that's okay. And I looked at him, I go, it is? He goes, yeah. I hate the mornings too. The mornings suck. I spend time with God at night. And I was like, you can do that? He said, yeah, you got to find your flow. I said, what do you mean? He said, the purpose of spending time with God is spending time with God. So listen, for, for some of you, it may not be wake up first thing in the morning and read an entire chapter. That's okay. Somebody needs to hear that. Let me set you free from the bondage of religion. It's okay. Now, I do think that you need to find your flow, which means you need to find out how you do connect with God in the morning. So I wanna help you do that. Real simple. I've taught this before. I'm gonna teach it to you again. How do you find your flow? Pick a place. Somebody say, pick a place. Pick a time. Pick a plan. Say, pick a place. Pick a time. Pick a plan. Here's my place, it's my truck. You know why? I told you, I hated quiet times because in my truck, I can turn the music as loud as I want, sing to the top of my daggum lungs and worship Jesus as much as I wanna worship. Ain't nobody around. That's my place. 
By the way, some of you are like, why is the music so loud? Can I tell you why the music's so loud, why we do it so loud in here and why it's so dark? It's because I wanna be able to sing at the top of my lungs and worship with other people and not have to worry about you judging me for how I sound. <laughs> people are like, I love hearing everybody's voices. Well, they don't like hearing your voice, ma'am. So <laughs> we're turning the volume up, amen, somebody. That's why we do it. But I pick a place, it's my truck. I pick a time, first thing in the morning, as soon as I get my truck, simple. And then I pick a plan. What is it? Well, I switch my plans all the time. Got the YouVersion Bible app on my phone. It'll read the whole thing for me. I can pick the little voice and make him sound like Morgan Freeman if I want to. <laughs> my point is, is that if you're gonna grow in your faith, it ain't gonna happen accidentally. It's gonna happen intentionally. You don't just slip into maturity. It's gotta be done intentionally. That's how you actually have to do it. So I don't know what your flow is, but you need to, you need to find your flow. It reminds me of Daniel chapter six when King Darius issues this decree that everybody's gotta bow and pray to him and if not, they're gonna get thrown into the lion's den. And I want you to watch what it says in Daniel six, chapter 10. I mean, Daniel chapter six, verse 10. It says, but when Daniel, this is after the decree is issued, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. That's his place with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed, how many times? Three times a day. That's his time. Just as he always done, giving thanks to God. There's his plan. So you have to determine before everything hits, before culture tries to get you to bow, before you go to work and your boss is barking down your throat and your coworkers are on your last nerve and your mom calls you and all she's watched is Fox News for five days. Before all of that, some of you start hitting people. I know what you're talking about right there. Before all that happens, Daniel, when everybody else is freaking out and having to decide, do I wanna die or bow? Daniel goes, I got a solution. I'm gonna do what I've always done. Some of you are so focused on doing the new and God's trying to get you to do the same. You just do the same thing you've always done. You just go to your room three times a day, open your window towards the city of God, hit your face and pray and just start thanking me. What was his plan? Thankfulness, gratitude. What if we just started there? You decided I'm gonna pick a place, I'm gonna pick a time, and here's my plan. I'm just gonna start writing down what I'm thankful for every single day until my spirit is no longer complaining but being grateful for what God has given me. Amen, somebody. I gotta get going. He says this, last thought. Because we've, we've learned about us being the branch, Jesus being the vine, but there's one more character in this story and I need you to get this. John 15, one says this. I am the true vine and my father is the what? The gardener. Now, here's the thing about a gardener. A gardener knows every single detail about their plant. I have an assistant that has a lot of plants in her house. She knows every detail about a plant. Names for the plants, talks to the plants. A gardener will come to your house and tell you about your plant. And he says that the father is the gardener, meaning he knows the condition of the soil of your soul. 
God knows how much water you need to survive. God knows how much darkness you need to be in. God knows how much light needs to hit your face every single day in order for you to produce the fruit and become the person he made you to be. He is a gardener. Someone bring out my plant for me if you don't mind. And this gardener has a very clear and specific job description. Can y'all thank my man Chris right here? Y'all give it up for him. This thing is so, this is so big. And here's what he says. This is the, the job description of the gardener. He's in the business of cutting. Verse two, it says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So the first thing the gardener does is he cuts off the ones that are, that are dead. Can I just tell you, you have some dead branches in your life and you're in denial. And every season is not a season to produce fruit. Some seasons are seasons of preparation and some seasons are seasons of producing. But there are other seasons of pruning. And maybe God brought you to church today because you're in a pruning season, you're in a cutting season, and God's trying to cut the dead things off your life, the things that are sucking the life out of you, the things that are weighing you down and holding you back. And sometimes that means you gotta lose some people because they're dead weight. And sometimes you gotta lose some old beliefs because they're lies. And God is going, I I'm gonna cut those things off because if I don't cut the dead things off, they will rot the rest of your life. And some of you are so discouraged because everybody around you is in their fruitful season and they're producing fruit. But what would it look like for you to just remain? And finally, number three, trust the cut. That you have a heavenly father who is a gardener and knows where to cut and how to cut. The first thing he does is he cuts off what is dead. He cuts off what is needed. He cuts off the thing that you don't need. He cuts off stuff that's holding you back. But then he says, the next portion of verse two, if you'll throw that on the screen, he talks around this idea of pruning. He says, while every branch that does does bear fruit, not does not, that does bear fruit, he prunes, why? So that it'll be even more faithful. So some of you have been wondering why life gets harder when you start making the right decisions and you start experiencing fruit. The reason why is not because God's cutting you off, but because God's cutting you back. Because he understands that if I don't cut you back and I just let you grow the way you wanna grow, you're gonna get so heavy that your leaves will start to fall and you'll fall over yourself and you'll start to fail because you think this thing is all about you because you got too big for the position he's put you in. God is, is not some evil God who's trying to hurt you. God is trying to cut some things back in your life because he knows the fruit that he wants to see come from your life. And he understands that if I don't cut that thing back, I know you're being successful right now and I know you're doing good. I know you just got that job. I, 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 I get it. There's fruit 
You finally feel peace and then something happens. Can anybody testify? Maybe it's not the devil. Maybe God is going, hey, 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 I'm cutting you back so that I can take you further, so that I can produce even more fruit you knew was possible. But you'll never get to experience it if you don't remain in it. You gotta, you gotta go, God, I trust the cut. And here's the good news. He says in verse three, I've already told you the truth. He, he reveals that to you. This is not a matter of salvation. He says, you get it, you're saved. So for every believer, look at me. God's not gonna cut you off, but he might cut you back. But God's not turning his back on you. He's not forsaking you. You can trust the cut. Do you have the proof? Can you prove it, pastor? Yep. You know how I know he can trust the cut? Because the Bible says that you and I are like dead branches, alienated from God because of our sin. So because of our sin, we've been separated from the gardener. And you and I were dead on the ground as branches. But thank God that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus, his son, as the true vine, making it possible for you to get connected, that you were once dead in your sin, but through the true vine named Jesus Christ, you can be made alive and have nourishment for your soul and that you can be connected to your heavenly father again. Amen, somebody. Come on, anybody thankful for the vine of Jesus Christ? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? I'm closing. You know how I can trust the cut? Because in order for me to get connected to God, watch, I can trust the cut because God had to cut his own son. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? but you can trust this cut because God knew I'm gonna have to cut you now and I'm gonna have to cut you off right now. But three days later, you'll see. I wasn't just cutting you off. You were gonna come back and it was gonna be more fruitful than ever before. Amen, Amen somebody. So tonight, I, I just, today, whatever. Um, I, I want us to end with a time of just remembering what God did for you and I. How his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Did we pass out communion when we came in? Yeah. If you'll grab that communion, if I can get one too, that'd be great. Worship team, you guys can come on out. And um, I get the service is a little bit longer, but Thank God I didn't have a clock tonight, amen. Oh, it felt so good. Was this message helpful for you? Um, we're gonna sing a song called Communion. And we do this because of what Jesus did for us. So if you will, would you just uh, take that little piece back and get your bread ready? Put it in one hand and then 
If you'll go ahead and just peel back the juice as well. Go ahead and just let's do the whole thing here. And um, I'm going to lead us in a moment, but watch. I want you to find your flow. I don't need you to take it when I say take it because this ain't about me. This is about you connecting with God and doing it in the presence of other believers. So during this song, I I just, I want you to have a moment with God and I, I want you to spend this time with him. And I want you to pay attention to the words and I want you to worship God. And if you need to fall on your face, fall on your face. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you need to shout, shout. If you need to jump around, if you need, whatever it looks like for you to find your flow and hear from God in this moment, I want you to do that in gratitude for what God did for you. So I'm just gonna pray and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship Jesus, amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it never returns void. God, I pray that every word that came out of my mouth tonight, God, was pleasing to you. Oh, I pray it was pleasing to you. Father, I ask in your son's name, would you you stir up a generation? Would you stir up a church? Would you stir up a people who's not just content with comfortable Christianity, that's not just content with just checking you off a box. It's not just content with a couple hours a month, but God, that we would learn how to have a resolve and remain in you, God. Would we be connected to you? Would God, would we trust those moments, those cutting seasons, those pruning seasons that don't feel good and trust the fact that that there's gonna be more fruit even come from it if we will remain in you. And so Jesus, thank you for making it possible by your body that was broken on our behalf for our sin, taking the punishment that we deserve. Jesus, I thank you for the blood that was shed, that you are the great Passover lamb, that it's by your your stripes we're healed. We love you, we thank you. God, thank you for the proof. We've got it, that we're so loved by you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Everybody said amen.